The scripture this morning is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 12, verses 13 to 17. Hear the word of the Lord. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the imperial tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin, and he asked them, Whose image is this, and whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Ooh, that sounds loud. Well, in uh, 1966, the words were penned, there's one for you, 19 for me, because I'm the, anybody know it? The tax man. Yeah, I'm the tax man. Uh, George Harrison wrote this song uh, because he learned how much taxes he was, they were paying, the Beatles were paying, it was for the album Revolver. Uh, they were in the highest tax bracket, and so between income tax and surtax, they were paying 90 to 95% in taxes. When he learned this, he was ticked off. And so he, that's where this song came out of. Well, it's December 31st. The tax man cometh. And whether you like it or not, we got to pay it. And that's what our passage is on this morning. And so if you have tax questions, don't ask me. I know a guy, though, Frank Lopane. He sits right over here. He can answer all your tax questions. Uh, And with that, we'll close in prayer. (laughs) Okay, okay, you know the old introduction tactic joke, right? That can't be the point of the passage, at least not its primary or secondary or any level, uh, maybe at the very bottom of the rung. There's other things going on in this passage that God calls us to. But let's pray as we go now. Heavenly Father, We come now to your word and we seek your understanding. We seek your wisdom. Holy Spirit, may you soften our hearts. May you open our ears. May you unclutter our minds. I pray that we would see and know the reality of ourselves in light of Christ's glory. Father, as we step into this new year, I pray that you would reveal our misguided, our misaimed priorities and loves. May you reveal our our deep-seated allegiances. May you ultimately transfix our gaze on Christ. Teach us this morning, we pray, through the saving name of Jesus. Amen. As we open our passage today, we, we see yet again a group of strange bedfellows. A weird alliance taking place. An unlikely alliance, a strange alliance. 
It'd be like Democrats and Republicans actually working together, right? Okay, maybe that's a little too close to home. It's kind of like the T-101 and Sarah Connor joining forces to take down the T-1000. That's a Terminator reference. Sorry, if you've never seen Terminator 2, it's a great movie. A little more obscure reference. Uh, It's like the humans working with the predators to take on the aliens. That's aliens versus predators. Anybody's actually seen that movie besides me? Okay, there's a few of you. Awesome. Right? Enemies uniting to take down a common enemy. Unlikely friends in this moment. We've covered this before, right? This has been happening multiple times throughout the Gospel of Mark. It's, they've been pairing up to try and take down Jesus. But we see something interesting, I think, as well, when it says, they sent to Jesus some Pharisees and some Herodians. That they speaks to a greater, a larger group, most likely the Sanhedrin, now attempting to take him down. They were orchestrating the whole thing, puppet mastering the whole thing in an attempt to, ta- to trap Jesus, to catch him in his words. And, and, and the real picture is that they weren't just trying to just trap him. That word for trap and catch is only used once in the New Testament, so it can make translation a little bit difficult, but it carries the connotations with it of violent pursuit. A violent pursuit. They were hunting Jesus, attempting to destroy him. They didn't just want a good parlay. They, didn't want, they weren't just playing tag. They didn't want just a good, friendly discussion of politics during the holidays. They wanted to destroy him think of you know somebody digs a giant pit right out in the woods with the sharp spikes at the bottom of the pit and then they cover over it they want to lure the lion into that pit to his own death i mean and i think at some level they probably thought that they were actually the righteous ones they were the inquisitors the 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 ones that were there to root out the suspected heresy using trick questions and guile. And I, I, I don't think they were the first or the last. And I think we should be mindful of ourselves when we're attempting <clears throat> or pretending to protect the orthodoxy of the church from heresy rather than protect the peace and unity of the church. So the Pharisees and the Herodians begin trolling Jesus to elicit a, a punishable offense. But they do it first by buttering up Jesus. I think another application for us is uh, we, we might want to be wary of flattering words, especially from those who have never done it before. Of course, we should give encouragement, right? We should encourage others when we see good character traits in someone. But this isn't happening here. And we've learned from experience with these two groups, with Jesus going with these two groups, that they were simply trying to put out the tasty morsel to lure their prey into the pit. They're pouring sweet words into his ears with their forked tongues. Interestingly enough, they call him a man of integrity, right? They, they, they claim that he's not swayed by the opinions of others. He's not swayed from the truth because it might possibly be unpopular. In their flattery, they speak truth. That's who Jesus was and is. 
They, they thought, though, they had created the perfect trap, and they could now lure him in, one that will cause him to fall, and whichever side he fell on the question would be the pit. Whether he answers one way or the other, they thought, oh, we got him now. So they pose a taxation question, but it's not really a taxation question. It's not just a taxation question. It was a religious question. They ask him about giving tribute to Caesar, right? So we need a little background here, okay? So in in 6 AD, Judea became a Roman province. And after that, a census was, was, after the census, a new tax was put in place, the tribute tax or the imperial tax. It was, it was a head tax. It was different from property tax or, or income tax or customs or anything like that. It was, it was a tax for simply existing in the wonderful Roman Empire that conveniently Roman citizens didn't have to pay, only the subjects that were not Romans had to pay. It was about a day's wage, and it went directly into the emperor's treasury. It was his coin, his money. It had his face stamped on it. On one side was his face, and, and it says, Tiberius Caesar, son of divine Augustus. On the other side, you most likely find, which most people believe to be an image of Livia, who was the wife of Augustus and the mother of Tiberius, seated wearing a crown with a spear in one hand, a branch of olives in the other, and the words high priest on the back side of the coin. The coin was actually a, a, a piece of propaganda for the Roman Empire. An attempt to proclaim that the Roman Empire had finally claimed authority on all the world. But the coin went even further because the Jews were not allowed to carve any images, especially of humans. And, and, and some Jews were so shocked by this coin, by this type of coin, that they refused to carry it. They refused to use it. They refused to touch it. And a revolt had actually taken place around the time that, that the, the tax was put in place by somebody, another guy from Galilee, Judas of Galilee. And, and it, it all had to do with, they were already taxed so heavily, and now they're, they're, a, another tax is being placed on them. But even more, they were God's free people, yet they're being forced to pay tribute to a false king. So many Jews hated this. Many Jews refused to pay it. Some of the Pharisees believed that they were under moral obligations to not pay. Try that now. It probably won't go very far, will it? And so that was the Pharisee side of the trap. That side of the trap was set. Because if Jesus supports the tribute tax, supports the imperial tax, then it would alienate him. They would, they would spin it to say that he was supporting the divine authority that Caesar was claiming. And many people would walk away from him. But the Herodians were also there. And they set the other side of the trap. If he refuses the tribute tax, if he refuses the imperial tax, then they could rat him out. They could say, hey, he's, he's creating rebellion. He's creating resistance and sedition. And, 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 and he needs to be dealt with. It was a a no-win situation for Jesus. It was the perfect either-or dilemma. 
Yet again, something we might want to be wary of and cautious of and careful of when someone presents to us an either-or situation or we do the same thing. You're either a Christian or you're not, depending on this, that, or the other thing. So the trap is set. They await Jesus' demise. And what's he do? He asks to see a coin. To see the tribute coin. Okay, he wasn't stalling for time to think up of a good answer. In fact, he was embarrassing them. Because the Pharisees who claimed to never touch it, to never use it, and they were in the temple courts where they would never want a Roman coin to be present, they had one. Sure enough, it was used. And so he gives his answer. Some of the most famous words Jesus has ever said, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. Now I want to take a few moments and I want to unpack what it is not. What is not happening in this passage. Many attempt to make this passage a, a, <clears throat> a passage about political issues, about state issues, about separation of church and state issues, about the political sphere or the secular sphere and the, the church sphere, the, the, the sacred sphere. This split, this idea of splitting these two things and using this as that, as, as that case point would have been foreign to, the, to, to Jewish thought, would have been foreign to early Christian thought. Jewish thought had always seen the entire world and everything in it as created and ruled by God. And this is affirmed throughout Scripture as well. God is king over all realms, including politics. I think we should be careful or cautious to build any type of political or state theology off of these verses. It's just not the point. I read a lot in, in, in prepping for this sermon, and most of the commentators attempted to do that. There were others that said that's, that's not the point, that's not what's going on here. Um, but one I thought, was, uh, I thought spoke pretty timely. Um, one commentator wrote this, that we cannot imbue the world, we cannot inspire and change the world with Christ's spirit by exercising political force. What we do see in his answer is a quick, uh, sharp-edged quip for this particular trap. It was a crafty answer, a crafty avoidance of those in hot pursuit of him. Those that are hunting him down so that they have nothing to charge him with so that when he is crucified, he's crucified innocently. That they could bring no charge against this man. And if anything, his answer is yet again a subtle jab at the claim to Caesar's authority, to Caesar's divinity, to Caesar's kingdom. Sure, the coin had Caesar's image on it. It belongs to him. It's got his image. It's got his name on it. Give it to him. It's no big deal. He at once is is trivializing the overemphasis the Pharisees and the Herodians seem to place on their, their political stance while raising the truly essential to what God is owed, to what matters to God. 
we, we may owe Caesar some money, but we don't owe him our lives. We don't owe him our love. We don't owe him our utter allegiance, our ultimate allegiance. I love what Augustine, a bishop from the mid to late 4th century, wrote. He said, we are God's money, but we are like coins that have wandered away from the treasury. What was once stamped upon us has been worn down by our wandering. The one, that's Christ, who restamps his image upon us is the one who first formed us. He himself seeks his own coin as Caesar sought his coin. It is in this sense that he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. To Caesar his coins, to God your very selves. That's the point. The tribute tax, the coin, <clears throat> they were viewed as, as something that, that would show allegiance, that would show, well, I am agreeing with this claim to divinity, agreeing with his claims to authority. But Jesus is trivializing that, saying the tax to Caesar is just a coin. So what? Give it to him. But all of you, you belong to God. And what do you owe him? He actually hits on this in verses 30 to 34 of the same chapter, which is in a couple weeks we'll talk about that passage. But he says, what do you owe God? You owe him all of you to love him with everything that you have in you, all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. To go, to go further, the, the term in this passage for image is the same one used in Genesis to speak of the image of God on humankind. It's, it's probably not a stretch to think that those posing the question would have immediately understood the parallel that Jesus was drawing here to the stamp originally placed upon us. But as Augustine said, we've, we've lost our way. We've lost our direction. We've, we've lost our priorities, our focus. Or as John states in Revelation, our first love The one who has given himself for us deserves all of us, not just a little bit. It's like the uh, like someone who who steps in uh, to to the upside down to to find someone to to take on the demogorgon to to are you getting the Stranger Things reference there? So it's this show that is really great. And I'm digressing, right? But it, in the end, it ends with them just giving the, the kid egos. And if I spoil it for you, it's been out long enough, so I'm not sorry for that. It's like somebody spoiling the sixth sense that's been out for, for 20 years. They're all dead. <clears throat> right? But it, he deserves all of us. Not just your Sunday. 
not just your tenth. He deserves all of who we are and what we have. I think the challenge before us, fitting as we are on the eve of a brand new year, whether this last year was a good year or a terrible year, whether that is because of what happened in your life and in family and friends, whether that's political, whatever it is, our challenge this coming year is will we realign to the one's image we bear? And will you, whether the first time or the millionth time, acknowledge whose stamp has been placed on you? Whose you are and what that means for every aspect of our lives. I think that this question, this challenge is is highly individual. What have you been holding on to as your own? Who have you been holding on to as your own? What have you been holding on to so tightly that you're not willing to let go of? Who have you been chasing? Where have you been losing focus, losing priorities? beginning to look at something else, focus on something else, even more on someone else. So a man and I, uh, over the holidays, uh, went out for a date, and we saw the movie The Greatest Showman. Uh, it was, it, it was a, more or less a glamorized puff piece for uh, Barnum and Bailey Circus. But it was an awesome musical. It was really good. The music was, was excellent. Uh, but the story is about P.T. Barnum. And, and at some point you see he loses his priorities. He, he, he attempts to find success at all costs. And in that, he loses something else, someone else. In the end, of course, everything works out and it's nicely wrapped up in under two hours. But our lives are not so easily fixed. Following Christ, following the one who has Restamped us is a lifelong endeavor. It's a lifelong need. It's being willing to lay ourselves before the one to whom we belong, to learn and to see where and how we have lost our way, and to even pray as we go into the new year Lord, retune my heart to you. And so again, I think it's asking ourselves, what am I holding on to too tightly? Am I giving God my tenth so that I can spend the rest on myself? Am I striving for my name, myself, my comforts, my safety, my security, my relational fulfillment? Again, highly individual questions. But timely as we step into this new year. I want to end by uh, telling you a children's story, one that might be familiar to many. It's a story of a group of wooden people called the Wemmicks. These little wooden people were carved by a woodworker named Eli, who lived up on the hill. Well, the story unfolds by telling us how these Wemmicks always carried around a small box with them. And inside the box were a bunch of stickers. They had gray dot stickers, and they had gold star stickers. And, and, and each Wemmick was different. They had different talents. They looked different. 
And so the Wemmicks would go around and, and, and they would place stars and dots on those that they deemed beautiful or not. The pretty ones, the talented ones, the smart ones, they all got stars. But those with, with chipped paint or rough wood or were clumsy got gray dots. Well, we're eventually introduced to one character named Punchinello. He was a gray dot magnet. He couldn't seem to do anything right. People would walk up and they would see all the gray dots and they'd go, well, shoot, this guy clearly deserves these gray dots. I'm just going to give him another gray dot. Right? They, they would see no stars and they would think he clearly has done something to earn all of these gray dots. It was good reason. Before long, he believed the other Wemmicks. He believed he clearly deserved them. And so he would stay in hiding so as to not get any more gray dots than he already had. Well, one day, he happens to go outside and he bumps into a Wemmick who didn't have any stars or dots. Never seen this Wemmick before, but she was different than all the rest. People would see that, oh, she's got no dots, so she must be worthy of a star. And they would put a gold star on her and it would fall right off. Other people go, well, she doesn't have any stars. Clearly, she deserves a gray dot. And they put a gray dot on her and it would fall off. Well, Punchinello desperately wanted that too. And upon asking her how she does it, she told him how every day she goes and visits Eli the woodcarver. Well, that night, Punchinello slept very little. But he wondered if Eli would even want to see him. However, he eventually musters up the courage He makes his way up the hill, and as he steps into the workshop, everything around him is so much taller than him. And in a flash of fear and anxiety, he decides to leave, and as he's stepping out the door, he hears his name, Punchinello. Eli calls out to him. Punchinello thinks, how did he know my name? Eli responds almost as if being able to to hear him saying, because I made you. In the conversation that follows as Eli lifts Punchinello onto the workbench, Punchinello learns how he was made, why he matters, what actually matters. He was being slowly realigned to the priorities and the direction that ultimately matter. Punchinello asks about why the stickers didn't stick to this this other Wemmick. Eli explains, well, they only stick if you let them. But Punchinello struggled to understand this. And and at this, Eli smiles and says, oh, you will, but it'll take time. For now, come to see me every day and let me remind you how much I care. At this, Eli lifts Punchinello off the workbench and sending Punchinello on his way. He says, remember, you're special because I made you. And I don't make mistakes. Punchinello continues to walk out. And in his heart he thinks, I think he really means it. And when he did at that point, a dot fell off to the ground. While there are a lot, there's there's a lot of different ideas, I think, in this story. We get a glimpse of a Wemmick and of a people who have lost what matters who begin focusing on the things that really don't 
matter. They've lost their direction. They've lost their priorities. And, and I think Christ comes to us, and, and even though His response is, is ultimately a crafty avoidance at His pursuers, He comes to us and He asks, whose image is on you? And if you belong to Me, what are you holding back? Have you responded to My love for you? And if I could end where we began, I know on a downer because we're talking about taxes, if, if it's an offense to withhold taxes from the U.S. Treasury, how much more to withhold from the one who made you? How much more to withhold from the king who lost everything to bring you into his kingdom, the one whose image is stamped on you? May our aim this year to be to render to God our very selves, not only in our words, but in all of our lives. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, You are worthy of all praise. Not just on Sundays, Lord, but in every moment of our lives. And I pray, Heavenly Father, this morning as as we are on the eve of this new year, we would not lose sight of the one who matters most. We would not lose sight of the one who was willing to step down off of his throne into this world so as to bring about salvation, to bring about redemption, to bring about restoration, to restamp us. Father, we thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that we would take time this coming week to pause and to reflect, to confess where we have lost our way, Lord, but to trust in your faithfulness and your guiding hand as we move into this new year. Father, we give you our tithes, our tithes and our offerings. An act of worship where we give over to you to use for your kingdom. But Lord, a fraction of what we owe to you. This coming year, Lord, may we be a generous people with our words, with our actions, with our stuff. And this year, Lord, may you be made much of. We give it all to you. We surrender all to you. In your name we pray. Amen.